How many of you guys set New Year's resolutions at the beginning of the year in 2021? Nobody? You don't want to raise your hand. This is not a trick question. How many of you guys set New Year's resolutions? How many guys, as we near the end of it, you're in church, how many guys had stuck to those resolutions for a week, maybe a couple weeks or a month? And as we stand here towards the end of 2021, how many guys would say it did not go as you were anticipating or as you had hoped? And I want you to think about where you sit here today as we prepare to start another year come 2022. Uh, for me in 2021, I had set a goal uh, to run a marathon. I had completed a half marathon at the end of 2020, and I was setting a goal to run a marathon in 2021. Along that pursuit, I had 18 weeks of uh, strict training where I was disciplined in running pretty much most every day. I dealt with a lot of different setbacks and things with my knees uh, that would cause problems that would make it a, a lot more difficult to run. Well, come November, finally my daughter's boyfriend and I made it to Savannah, Georgia, and we were set out to complete the actual marathon. And lo and behold, an hour before the race, they canceled it. But they allowed us to run the half marathon instead. And so we were able to do that. And uh, we looked at the uh, bright side of it, and we were able to at least run the half. Uh, but I still have not completed the one goal that I set out to accomplish in 2021. Now, with that said, I want you guys to think about the resolutions and goals maybe you set out to accomplish and what setbacks or what distractions have come that have deterred you from accomplishing the goal uh, that you have set uh, for yourself. I want you to think about that as we move into 2022, as we continue to press on. Maybe for some, you started out the year with a, a goal to lose weight, and maybe as we wrap up towards the end of the year and a lot of the Christmas buffet lines, we find our clothes are fitting a little bit tighter. Those are warning signs, aren't they? And for some of us, we like to purchase the elastic waist clothing, right? And so we can kind of avoid that warning sign that's letting us know that maybe we should put down that cookie. You see, a lot of times we don't like truth revealed to us. We'd rather hide from it and uh, not allow reality to set in. The Apostle Paul was pursuing followers of Jesus. He was living life a certain way apart from Christ. All in the process, Jesus was pursuing him. In Philippians chapter 3 and verses 4 through 11, Paul essentially sums up the transformation that took place in his life through his conversion experience in effect by saying, when I saw the value of Christ and when I saw that salvation was only in Christ, I took everything that once was gained and counted it lost and abandoned it all for Christ. Then in verses 12 through 16, which we're going to be examining here this morning, Paul wants the church to know that he is not perfect, that he is still tempted, that he is still a sinner, but beyond that, that he is trying to teach all of us and all generations that perfection in his life is a goal, not an achievement. 
It's something that you pursue, but you never reach. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi approximately 25 to 30 years after his conversion. Listen to how Paul lived as a Christ follower the last 25 to 30 years of his life following his encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. We can find it in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28. He was imprisoned, countless beatings, often near death. Five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was once stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. At night and a day he spent in the deep. He was on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from his own countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea among false brethren. He was in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there was the daily pressure he faced of his concern and his love and his devotion for all the churches in which he planted. Now, thinking about those last 25 to 30 years, let's look at his last five years that he lived. In AD 61, following several missionary journeys covering well over thousands of miles, Paul arrived in Rome for what would be his first Roman imprisonment. He was under house arrest, and during this time, he wrote what would become the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. In AD 63, after two years, he was released from his first Roman imprisonment. He continues on his missionary journeys, not deterred, and he writes 1 Timothy and Titus, two of the three pastoral epistles. And then in A.D. 64 to 67, he is again arrested. He writes his final letter to Timothy during his second final Roman imprisonment. He is about to be executed for his faith. He's basically staring death in the face. And who is he focused on himself? No, he's focused on young Timothy, his disciple, doing ministry and making sure that he imparts every bit of last wisdom he can to help him on his journey. Look at the body of Paul's life after his conversion. His last five years of his life modeled the 30 years previous. You see, his life was lived in full devotion to his father, since his conversion on that road to Damascus when he encountered Jesus, who became his personal Lord and Savior. For his life forever changed and he never looked back. I think one of the biggest lies of Satan that we believe today is that we are okay. Is that we don't have to examine our life in regards to our devotion to Christ. You see, Paul is going to address this in verses 12 through 16 as he explains what a Christian's life should look like till the day he sees Christ face to face. If you have your Bible, please open it to Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16 as I read from the ESV. It'll also be up ahead on the screens. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God 
in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Bow your heads with me, please, as we pray. Father God, I pray that as we would study your word, as we'd seek to know more of you, that you would reveal more of yourself to us, individually and also as a church here at First Baptist Shalom. Father God, I pray that whether it be through just simply reading the scriptures in our Bible over and over, or whether it be through your words that you would have spoken here this morning, I pray that each of us would examine our own walk with you. And I pray, Father God, that you would guide and direct our every decision to get us where you want us to be so we can win our race like Paul did his. Father, guide us this morning, and I pray that if any of us are distracted, maybe if we're distracted about what's going to take place after here, or if we're distracted with maybe events that took place yesterday, I pray you would remove those from our minds and from our midst so that we can be laser-sharp focused on your word speaking to us. Father, I pray this in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. I've titled the message this morning, Win the Race. My aim is to unpack six essentials from this passage that Paul provides in which we need to win the race. Look with me in the first half of verse 12 as Paul explains the first essential needed to win the race. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Essential number one, holy dissatisfaction. Holy dissatisfaction. You see, Paul makes it abundantly clear that even after everything he has experienced over the last 30 years following his conversion experience, that he still has not arrived at spiritual perfection. Meaning Paul was not satisfied with everything that he had done, everything that he had accomplished to this point. He was not satisfied with his current spiritual condition. You see, he still wanted more of Jesus. He still wanted more of Christ. I think this is an important reminder for us today for anybody who thinks that maybe they have received spiritual perfection or maybe has no awareness of pursuing a better condition. I'd like to add that that you should be concerned when and if you ever get to a point in your walk with Christ where you're content with your present condition. I want you to ponder that and think about that for a moment. For Paul in his pursuit to win the race, it all starts with this holy dissatisfaction, this awareness that he hasn't arrived. If you're content, you've reached a dangerous point. It's a point at which you'll find yourself insensitive to sin and maybe defending yourself when you ought to be admitting your weakness and pursuing spiritual strength. Maybe you've got to this point or place in your life where you think, I've had enough prayer, or I've had enough church, or I've had enough of teaching of God's Word or enough Christian fellowship to satisfy me. I'm I'm good then you're in a dangerous condition. 
spiritual growth is soul pursuing. It starts with his recognition that you're not where you ought to be. Next, look with me in the second half of verse 12. We find the second essential Paul explains that's needed to win the race. He says, but I, I press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Essential number two is maximum pursuit. Maximum pursuit. You see, positionally, Paul knows who he is in Christ Jesus because of what Christ did on the cross. He knew who he was, what he already gained. But the second aspect of sanctification, progressively, he knew he had not arrived at where he needed to be. So he pressed on. He presses on. You see, in this, Paul is affirming two things here. He's affirming that he has not yet come to know Christ and the way and only the eschaton will bring. And therefore, that even though he knows Christ now, including the power of his resurrection, that such knowledge does not mean either that his is now completed or that he has arrived at the final goal. And second, that knowing Christ finally and fully is the prize toward which Paul stretches every nerve and he urges the Philippian believers to do the same. My goal in life is consistent with Christ's goal for my salvation, Paul says, and he knows it. He saved him for a purpose, and that purpose of his, in saving him was and has become his purpose for how he lived his life, his spiritual progress. And my will is now his will. I want for me what he wanted for me and what he saved me to accomplish. That was Paul's desire. And like Paul, we're all in this lifelong pursuit of Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is the goal. It's the goal all of us should attain. Paul got it, so he says, I run. But I don't just run. I run to win. I run with all my might. I pursue hard after this goal for which I was saved. Maybe some of us are in this race, and we're just simply content with being in the race. You see, that wasn't Paul's contentment. Paul wanted to run to win. Look with me in verse 13, where we discover Paul's third essential needed to win the race. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead. The third essential is focused concentration. Think about this over the course of your last year, over the course of your life. One thing versus many things. We all have this pursuit of one thing, right? But then many things get in the way, don't they? How many of you guys have kids? Distractions get in the way, don't they? How many of you guys are married? Distractions get in the way. For Paul, focused concentration is a must if he's going to stay on the correct path to win the race. You see, so many different things are competing for our attention as believers in Christ. And they want to pull us in other directions that take us off of the race. Notice how he starts off this verse. He doesn't consider himself to have made it his own yet, referring to the full knowledge of Christ. How does he do this? Well, for one, he forgets what lies behind. And second, he strains forward to what lies ahead. In the race, Paul doesn't look back. He looks forward. As a Christian, we are to pursue one thing. 
Jesus. Here I'm reminded of John 3.30. He must increase while I must, say it with me, decrease. Negatively in this verse, he's saying we've got to forget what lies behind. We've got to forget what lies behind. We've got to forget what lies behind. Joseph saw his past from God's point of view. Joseph knew that God had a plan for his life, a race for him to run. And in fulfilling that plan and looking ahead, he broke the power of the past. Imagine if he lived with the past in his view. He would have never got to where God wanted him to be. Some Christian runners are being distracted by successes of the past, not just the failures. While others are crippled by regrets from their past, the things which are behind us must be set aside and the things which are before must take their place. How many guys have heard somebody say, it's just not like it used to be? It's just not like it used to be. Whether they're referring to church, the way church used to be, whether they're referring to our country, our nation, whatever it is they're referring to, they are stuck in the past. It's just not like it used to be. Children just aren't like they used to be. Parents just aren't like they used to be. Dwelling in the past can make you proud because of past achievements or sad because of failure, shame, or guilt. In these ways, the past can often hold us back. Why should I forget all of it? I mean, I did some good things that I don't want people to forget. I want to make sure they remember what I did. Because those past things have nothing to do with the present and where we're headed in the future. Your past successes or your past failures have nothing to do with what you're doing right now. You can't live on past victories. Some of us are so distracted by the past that we never get around to running into the present and the future. But what about the fact that I taught Sunday school for 10 years? I led several people to Christ a decade ago. I did my time. I served the children. I served while my children came through the ministries. I mean, I served my time, and now it's time for new parents to step forward and to serve so I can, you know, sit back and, and rest because I deserve it. I, I did my time. I remember the good old days. You know when we were in that old church building and everybody was a family. And we all sung in the choir together and we all knew each other and it was all so great. I just can't move forward to where we are current. While studying and preparing to teach and preach this passage, I had to stop and I had to repent here because the Lord reminded me of the many times in which I get caught dwelling in the past. You see, this is easy for every single one of us in this room. The past is completely irrelevant to the present and the future. Being stuck in the past paralyzes you. It cripples you. It'll hinder you from moving forward if you dwell there. Imagine Kelly Holden, runner of 26 marathons. As he was preparing to run the Boston Marathon for his fourth time, saying at the starting line to all the other runners gathered around him as they're preparing to run the race. You know, guys, I'm, I'm Kelly Holden. I'm pretty fast. I've run this race three other times. In fact, I've completed 26 marathons. So be ready to watch me as I blow by you. But I won't make it too obvious. I'll slightly just slide past you. I mean, I didn't even train this time because I was so fast 
and all my previous races. I didn't even need to train. Do you think because Kelly was fast in all his previous races, that'll make him fast in his present race? It won't, will it? Because if you don't keep training, you're going to lose your endurance quickly. You're going to lose that endurance quickly. God is interested in what we're going to do now and where we're going in the future, not in what we accomplished in the past. In a race, what happens when a runner looks back? Oftentimes, not a lot of good. They may become content or comfortable. They may stumble. They may trip and they may fall. May lose speed or they may get off course. Simply put, nothing happening in the back is relevant to the finish line that lies ahead. The past should be remembered, but not in these ways. We visit the past to remember the great things that God has done for us so that we might live in the present and press on toward the future. Let go of the past and get back into the race. We must turn from the past and lean into the future. For that is where Christ waits at the end of our race. Positively, straining towards what lies ahead. The word straining forward here means to stretch a muscle to its limit through extreme effort. Picture a runner stretching every muscle to reach what is in front of him, the prize. I think about that last stretch when we're running that race. And you're pressing and pushing. It didn't matter everything that happened previously. You see that finish line in sight and you're pressing every bit of energy you have left to cross that finish line. Your focus, your concentration, it's zoomed in. You see the end in sight. Nothing with the past. You're just looking ahead at the goal, moving as fast as possible to reach or to attain it. Now's the time where you can ask yourself this important question in your spiritual race that you're running. Do you have that kind of focused concentration? As you examine where you're at here at the end of 2021, what has been your focus? What have you been pursuing? I pray that as we each move forward into 2022, that we will all have the focused goal of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Our goal, you see, it's, it's not to build a bigger church. It's not to have the largest attended church. It's not to add more programs or you fill in the blank. Our goal should be perfection in Christ. To become more like Jesus, to look more like Christ in 2022. Next, Paul provides the fourth essential in verse 14, needed to win the race. He says, I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Essential number four is relentless determination. Relentless determination. Paul explains what motivates him to win the race. He says, I press, which is translated, I follow after, and carries the idea of this intense endeavor. The Greeks used it to describe a hunter eagerly pursuing his prey. Some of you men in the room who are hunters, imagine yourself as you're eagerly pursuing that prey. You're waiting to get that perfect shot, that perfect buck or doe. Let's go back to the marathon runner illustration. A man does not become a winning athlete by simply listening to lectures, watching movies, reading books, 
attending Bible studies, cheering at games. A man becomes a winning athlete by getting into the game, staying in the game, and determining to win. This is the heart of the passage. He says, I press, I pursue, meaning continuously I'm giving effort. I'm continuously pursuing toward, I'm bearing down on this goal. I continuously bear down on the goal to be more and more like Christ. I run for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And when that call comes, I'm going to be like Christ. So what motivates me? What motivates you? The upward call, our eternal reward to be made like Christ. I'm waiting for perfection, which God's going to give me the day that I see him face to face. That's the prize. Some of us have become so sidetracked and distracted that we think this here on earth is the prize. Ah, there's so much greater waiting there. There's so much more waiting there. In verse 15, Paul provides the fifth essential needed to win the race. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal also that also to you. The fifth essential is divine perseverance. Divine perseverance. In verse 12, Paul said that he has not been made perfect. Yet now in verse 15, he says that what all of those who are perfect or mature should do. Paul is saying one becomes mature in one sense when he recognizes that he's not fully mature and therefore presses on towards full maturity, which is the full knowledge of Christ. Paul is re-emphasizing what he's already made clear. If we think we've arrived at a comfortable spiritual destination, here's what we need to do. We've got to get out of that place quickly. It can set in, can it? We've got to get out of that place quickly. Get away from those people quickly. We've got to get out of that place. That's what mature people do. They're not satisfied. They press on. They want more of Christ. If we think we've arrived, it probably means that we've got just enough Jesus to satisfy some spirituality or responsibility, but not so much of him that it threatens the way we live. You see, God gives us the insight we need when we need it. The insight we receive, we don't receive all at once. God reveals it to us bits and pieces, and he gives us what we need exactly when we need it, the moment when we need it. God's timing is always, always, always perfect. Think this way literally means be intent on this. Set one's mind on this. On what? On pursuing the prize. Look at what Paul adds. And if in anything you think otherwise, meaning that's a really good possibility. The church is full of people who are not interested in pursuing the prize. They're interested in looking at the past. They're content with where they're at, so they spend the rest of their lives as a Christian justifying the level of their attainment and convincing everybody around them that they're very real spiritually. Instead of recognizing their need, instead of making maximum effort with focus, concentration, and motivation, they're just content with where they are. And they want to spend their life justifying where they are. Look at what Paul says next. He says, God will reveal that also to you. God will reveal that also to you. If that's you, God will reveal that to you. 
He simply says, if that is where you're at, then I have to leave you to God. I have to leave you to God. If you're ever going to get this message and you won't receive it from me, then you'll have to get it from God. Have you ever felt that way about someone? Maybe someone you love. You're frustrated. You're incredibly frustrated. Why don't they get it? I've taught them the truth. I've preached the truth to them. They've heard the truth so much over their life. Why don't they get it? You ever been frustrated? You've told them the truth over and over and over and over again, and yet they still don't get it, and you prayed, Lord, you're going to have to reveal yourself to them because I'm losing my patience. That word reveal is to unveil, meaning you're going to have to open their minds and unveil reality to them. And sometimes the Lord has to do that through trials and suffering. That's part of how God's discipline works in our lives. When we get off track in our pursuit with Him, when we take a detour and we get on the wrong path, Paul is simply saying here that he wants God to do that. That he wants God to bring into your life whatever it takes to move you on the correct path in which you're pursuing the prize. The Lord stopped me dead in my tracks as I was studying and praying over this verse. Do I trust God's saving power or Michael's persuasiveness or maybe Michael's condemnation of someone who's not living the way that I think they should? Do I condemn someone who is simply at a different place in the race than I because I'm placing an expectation, an unfair expectation on them that they should be at the same place in the race or where I'm at? Imagine if we love people enough to trust God to do His maturing work in them in His time. How would that look different in the church? Maybe I wouldn't judge that parent for how their teen behaves. Instead, I would pray with them, alongside of them, and for them. Maybe I wouldn't criticize that person for how they dressed coming to church today. Maybe I wouldn't, you fill in the blank. How would the church look different if we all recognize that each of us is on the same journey, but we're at a different place in that journey? Where some may look more mature than others at times, but we're still on the same journey. Remember, we're in this together, right? Together. And we're better when we're in it together. And I think sometimes we get distracted on condemning everybody else because they're not where we think they should be. Imagine how we as a church would look different if we loved people right where they were and trusted God to mature them to get them to where they needed to be. I wonder if outsiders would be attracted to that. I wonder if lost people, when they come into the church, would see something different that they wanted. Lastly, notice in verse 16, Paul identifies the sixth essential needed to win the race. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Essential number six is consistent transformation. 
consistent transformation, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? Consistent transformation, we have to have our minds continually renewed. If I allow myself to listen to the news and everything on it, or if I allow myself to get sucked into the Facebook trap or social media trap of everyone's lives better than mine, I'm not going to have a renewed mind, am I? I'm not going to be transformed. I'm going to be conformed to the image that the world wants to create. The verb used here is translated keep living, meaning to follow in line, to line up. It's used of armies marching in battle order to stay in line, to stay in step, to be consistent, to keep moving. Wherever you are spiritually by the same principles that got you there, keep moving ahead. Well, what are some important healthy habits that help us do this? Those who have come through the youth ministry or are currently in the youth ministry at, here at church know that I'll often talk to them about habits. Habits are significant for helping us to grow in our walk with Christ spiritually. The H stands for hang time with God. Simply, am I spending time with God? The A, accountability. Do I have believers in my life who will hold me accountable when I get off track? We all need that, don't we? B, Bible memorization. Am I allowing God's word to be memorized in my heart so when anxiety hits and floods my soul, I'm reminded by Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be what? Anxious for anything? Am I allowing God's word to guide me? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. Am I allowing his word through Bible memorization? I, in the habits, involvement in the church body. Am I using the gifts, the purpose for why God has placed me where I am to serve his people in the church and outside the church? Am I involved in the church body, helping to grow, being around, as Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says? Do I worship with other believers? Am I pouring into other believers? Am I allowing other believers to pour into me? Am I involved in my church body? The T, tithing, do I practice giving to the Lord, not just financially, but am I tithing, am I giving of my time, my talents, my treasures, my resources, am I allowing God to use them to minister to others? And then the S, the study in the scriptures, am I pressing into God's word where I'm growing spiritually on a daily battle, and am I encouraging others to do the same? I love how D4 groups can help accomplish most all of those habits. But what habits are you following? What habits are you pursuing? What habits are you encouraging your children to pursue? What habits do you need to set in place for 2022? John MacArthur beautifully sums up this passage this way. With a series of questions, I would like to consider the way he was presenting this as an interviewer asking Paul the question. And he says the first one, why do you do it, Paul? And Paul says back to him, to gain the prize. And then he says, well, how hard do you do it, Paul? With maximum effort. I give everything I got. Well, how focused are you, Paul? Well, I concentrate on nothing else. 
I've got to be focused. I concentrate on nothing else. Well, how dependent on God are you, Paul? When I fail, I trust God to reveal to me my failure. I don't live there. I keep moving forward. Well, what's your secret, Paul? Habits and trials. Trials that shape my life. Trials that shape my life. Sometimes I bring those trials on myself by making poor decisions. And sometimes we live in a fallen, broken world, and sometimes bad things just simply happen. But I press on. I pursue. I win the race because I want the prize. Last Christmas Eve, my wife's grandmother, 98 years young, went home to be with Jesus. She was the epitome of someone who pursued Jesus with all her heart. Taught her children, her grandchildren, great uh, grandchildren do the same. Yesterday, as my wife and I and our kids, we got to spend some time with my father-in-law and mother-in-law. My father-in-law shared with me a powerful message that she left on one of my sister-in-law's voicemails a while back, and she had recorded the message and placed it on a picture frame for my father-in-law to play any time that he wanted to be reminded of his mother. Miss Virginia's message said, Remember these seven important words, and you can't go wrong. Love the Lord with all thine heart. Love the Lord with all thine heart. I think those seven words embedded in Miss Virginia's heart express Paul's personal devotion and abiding love for his personal Lord and Savior who saved him that day on that road to Damascus when his life was forever changed. And I believe those seven words express Paul's deep desire for the Christian church at Philippi and for all believers here today and who would one day deny self, take up their cross, and follow him. As we wrap up this morning in 2021, ask yourself this question. Are you pursuing the prize? Have you been growing spiritually or have you been content with where you're at spiritually speaking? Are you willing to say, I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm pressing forward. Pursuing Christ with all I got. Come 2022. The worship team is going to come and lead us in song as I pray. As they come, I want to challenge each of us. Will you examine your life? Where you're at right now in this moment. I know every single person, whether you're here in person or watching with us online, is at a different place in your journey. My prayer, like Paul's, is this. Will you take your next step? Whatever that is. Don't get distracted with other people's next step. Will you take your next step? Whatever that looks like. That's my prayer. Father God, if some need to come to the altar and pray, maybe together as a family to renew their vision or their direction for 2022, I pray they do that. Maybe there's some who just need to come forward, Father God, to the altar and 
They just want to pray, Father God, for forgiveness and repent, uh, Father God, from maybe how they've been living their life in ways in which they have been distracted from what's most important. I pray, Lord Jesus, they would come to the altar and do that, whatever they need to do. Father God, maybe there's someone here who need to join the church because they've been out of being in a church family and they need the body to help hold them accountable. I pray they would take that step. If there's someone here who need to follow through with believers' baptism, they need to let the world know the decision that they've already made. They want to be accountable. They want the world to know. I pray they would follow with that next step. If there's some in here who have never surrendered their life to Christ, Father God, for whatever reason, but today they feel through the Holy Spirit pressing, tugging on their heart that He's pursuing them and they know, Father God, that's them. I pray they would come and talk to me about that decision. Father God, whatever step each person needs to take, I pray they would take it and that they would not leave here the same. Father God, as we head into 2022, I pray we would head into 2022 as a church committed to becoming more like Christ. Make that our goal. Make that our aim. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.